0: Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host, and we are broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. Hey, thanks to our local business partners who help make this program possible. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. And you can get takeout for lunch and dinner seven days a week. You can also get takeout for breakfast on the weekends. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret. That's Des Moines' premier jazz club, now open for appropriately socially distanced concerts many times each week, and also those concerts are are live-streamed. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret. All right, again, welcome to the program, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We're here for a full hour as we talk about a lot of stuff, um, COVID, uh, the Supreme Court, urban farming, and we're going to kick it off with a conversation about the Arctic. But first... But first I got to talk I got to I got to talk a little bit about last week's radio broadcast uh, the the podcast and my column. My column was titled Don't Vote By Mail. Yeah. I still believe it makes a lot of sense to vote at the polls if that's possible, if that works for you. But vote at all costs. Now, if you if you read my column, you would know that I I never ever would discourage anyone from voting absentee if that's their best option. Yeah, if you only read the title, don't vote by mail, then yeah, you might have thought I was telling people to vote at the polls or not at all. Furthest thing from the truth. You know, I guess I need to say sorry. I'll be more careful in my choice of titles next time, remembering that some people only read the title. (laughs) Anyway, that said, um, I have had additional conversation with auditors. Um, and done a bunch of additional research and had a lot of good feedback from people who responded to the radio broadcast, the podcast, and the column. And I I tell you this, I'm more confident that, in Iowa at least, I can't say, you know, the whole country is different. Every state has its own approach to elections. I can't tell you how this is going to play out in other states. But in Iowa at least, if you cast your absentee ballot by mail or at your county auditor's office, it will probably be counted. Probably. Probably. There's still some risk, of course, but because the system will be overwhelmed, uh, and you know we had all this, um, all these questionable things happening with the U.S. Postal Service. But thanks to a really strong pushback by postal workers' union, uh, frontline workers, and the general public, I think um, Postmaster General uh, DeJoy, his, he's Louis, um, I think, what's his last name. Yeah, Louie, Anyway, I think he's backed off all the horrible things he was doing, like removing mailboxes, slowing down mail service. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, there's still some risk, and you know, I again, I encourage people to vote on election day at the polls. But it, but by all means, vote. And again, I, I think um, you know, I'm not the only one who's been been concerned about this. Uh, it, later last week, after after this broadcast, um, there was a uh, column in the New York Times with the uh, title, As Trump Sows Doubts on Mail, Democrats Push More In-Person Voting. This was a look at um, the Philadelphia Democratic Party, where officials are encouraging voting in person. Um, in Wisconsin, there are also concerns about that. But this uh, article in particular focused on, on Philadelphia. And again, uh, this is part of what it, part of what's essential in any kind of movement. And right now, there's this movement... The election is basically a movement, and you're always responding to things as they change. And and Donald Trump, nobody saw how bad he would be toward voting by mail, how much misinformation he would spread. Nobody saw that. But when when you start seeing that, you start adjusting. And so that's what they're doing in Philadelphia. That's my advice. Again, I I will say this. So in Iowa, I think we have plenty of good reasons to believe that things will probably go just well. So uh, anyway, on to... um, I would say on to more pressing news, but I'm not sure there's any news that's more pressing than, some, than everything, that everything involving the election. So uh, Kathy and I have a sign in front of our home. Compliments of uh, Channing Dutton, an attorney here in Des Moines. The sign reads, uh, vote with climate in mind. And, you know, honestly, I, I think it could be a bit stronger, <laughs> a bit more uh, pointed, perhaps. Uh, maybe um, vote climate. Uh, our lives are on the line, something like that. You know, and, and really, you know, not a week goes by when some new climate disaster happens or tipping point is reached. And, and the indications are just really how serious the situation is getting. You know, and one indicator I'd certainly call your attention to this week is the Arctic. Again, now, now parts per million of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, 412. We're at 412 parts per million. Um, highest in human history by, by far. I mean, the last time Earth saw 412 parts per million and saw the kind of warming we've seen, that was 3 million years ago. Now, to put that in perspective, human beings, at least our current version that we identify with, Homo sapiens, we've been around about 200,000 years. And this is the first time in 3 million years we've seen these kinds of carbon, carbon dioxide concentrations, this kind of warming. And so, you know, last month in the Arctic... You know, the sea ice covered 3.74 million square miles. Sorry, sorry, um, square kilometers. Uh, that was based on satellite data from NASA. Uh, now, sea ice is currently at a record low or near record low. I think it hit a, a lower record in, uh, in 2012. But if you, if you look at the chart for each decade, it's dropping dramatically. And that's significant. So concurrent with that, Last month, September, in Siberia, Siberia, the uh, the iconic cold place in the world, saw several 100-degree days. And of course, that was coupled with these huge wildfires, you know, wildfires in the Siberian Arctic. Wrap your mind around that, okay? So one reason that should be of a concern is that, you know, those fires... Not only are they putting smoke into the atmosphere, not only are they destroying forests, um, destroying homes, communities, uh, ways of life. You know they are releasing methane. Uh, they're thawing that, that that permafrost is thawing anyhow, and when you get fires going over it, you know you, you get more heat, you get more melting, you get more methane being released. And remember, methane is about 85 times more potent than carbon dioxide in terms of its impact on the atmosphere. You know, it's it's a problem. And, uh, you know, I, I, some, I guess it's probably easier for Americans. You know, most people around the world know more about America than we know about them. In fact, I saw a very interesting experiment once when random people were asked on the street to point out certain countries on a map. I mean... Some people thought Africa was a country. Um, (laughs) Some people totally misplaced things to a level that is too embarrassing to even talk about. But the the bottom line is, most people elsewhere in the world, a lot of people elsewhere in the world, people who are paying attention know more about us. So they know about our derecho here in the Midwest. They know about the record number of hurricanes that have happened in the Gulf, uh, in the Atlantic, in the Gulf this um, this season. They know about the insane wildfires out west that are doing more damage and more destruction than ever before any previous year, even though we've had many years in the recent, in recent times that have been devastating in terms of fires. It's now worse than that. So, you know, all over the world, these things are happening all the time and they're getting worse. And this is another wake up moment, 100 degree days in Siberia, wildfires all across Russia in those in those areas. Again, releasing methane. Uh, Yeah, so when our sign says uh, vote with climate in mind, it's not a casual reference to the concern. It's a serious appeal to people to think beyond the immediate reality. I mean, right now here in Des Moines as we broadcast this program, it's a darn nice day. Uh, October 5th, temperatures hitting 70, a little bit of wind, but a darn nice day. You know, I, I used to, um, one of my allies, when I was a legislator, one thing I worked a lot on, probably my signature um, focus was urban sprawl, uh, containing it, not supporting it. I'm, I don't like urban sprawl. And one of my allies was a, a, one of the biggest Republican fund, funders in the state. Uh, a guy who here, folks locally will remember, John Ruan. And uh, he had a trucking company. But Ruan got the importance of farmland. He got the importance of protecting our food supply. And I would have breakfast with him once in a while on the top of the uh, Ruan building, which at the time was the tallest building in, in Des Moines. Now it's second. But we would sit up, uh, sit up there and he would say to me, with, he had great passion about this. He'd say, you know, you've got a plate of food in front of you. I've got a plate of food in front of me. You know, we don't worry about where our food comes from or where the next meal comes from. We ought to. We ought to worry about that. And that was one reason Ruan was committed to building in downtown. He didn't like to see what was happening on farm ground outside of the, uh, the city. But, you know, this, you know that, that reference to being concerned about what happens beyond that meal that's on our plate uh, is, is a perfect description of, of our lack of collective response to the climate crisis. You know, everything's even, even though COVID is kicking our butts, you know and changing our lives dramatically it is nothing compared to the impact the climate is beginning to have and certainly will have as the situation worsens so yeah maybe things are fine right now maybe we've got that plate of food maybe we've got clean water maybe we've got a place to live maybe we can manage the current deviations in in temperatures in our particular local region maybe we'll recover from that fire or maybe we can manage to get by with that hurricane that just missed us, hit our neighbors down the coastaways, ways. But, you know, it's, it's time to somehow move out of that mindset where we can only see the immediate picture. We've got to look at the big scene. We've got to look down the road, not too far down the road. And again, the warming in the Arctic is a, gr- a great way to remind us to do that. 100-degree days, fires all across Siberia. Time to act, folks. Time to vote like climate matters. Hey, we'll be back in a few minutes. Uh, We got uh, Kimberly Spillers joining us. We're gonna talk about the voting uh, systems, the election, uh, and the security of our voting from a rural perspective. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food
1: comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. At East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carry-out. Hawk also serves fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at HawkTable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com.
0: Hey, welcome back to the show folks this is uh, ed fallon your host broadcasting from des moines iowa the cultural and culinary crossroads of america thanks to our business partners for making this program possible in particular thanks to a uh, gateway marketing cafe that's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast on the weekends only but seven days a week uh, lunch and supper that's gateway marketing cafe thanks also to architecture by synthesis with 30 years of experience focused on cutting edge and environmentally friendly designs, including these super insulated structures made from grain bins. That's architecture by synthesis. Hey, I'd like to welcome to the program Kimberly Spillers. Kimberly and her husband Frank, they live in Atlantic, Iowa. Kim is a business owner, also an author, editor coach, teacher, trainer, organizer, volunteer, and speaker. I could barely get all that in in one breath. Uh, (laughs) Kim has served on the Iowa Dental Board and has worked on four congressional races and joins us today to talk about the integrity of the voting system in rural communities, particularly in rural Iowa. Kimberly, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you, Ed. This is absolutely delightful. I'm grateful to be here.
0: So there is, uh, you know, President Trump has been sowing lots of... um, of uh, confusion about the integrity of voting um, saying that mail-in ballots are, are going to be fraudulent um, i mean and he's and i mean and the response is uh, i mean part of that was in response to democrats really organizing aggressively to try to get people to vote early and you know th- so there are some legitimate concerns i mean I, I really think maybe the best thing to do was to vote at the polls but um i understand there's lots of reasons why People might want to or have to vote by mail, but in terms of the uh, in terms of the genuine security concerns about absentee balloting, what what's your impression from your position in rural
2: Iowa? Um, that is a really terrific question, and the really short answer is, from what I have seen in about ten years working with elections here in our Cass County office, fraud doesn't happen. That's the super short version. Um, I just can't see if every if every county has as much integrity as Dale Sunderman and the staff who are at the Cass County Auditor's Office, and this, there are such strict parameters about balancing party um, presence. Um, there, there is a. There is I happen to be the chair, again, uh, I was for the primary and will be for the general election for one of our polling sites here in Cass County. And the book that you have to follow of instructions, I's dotted, T's crossed, it is a, it is a, it is a play-by-play. Here's how you run an election. And if everybody uses a playbook like that, I just have never understood in all of the years where people bring allegations like that that there can be any truth to it. Well, um, well, so, I have, go ahead.
0: Well, so some of the some of the uh, concerns that have been raised in the past have been raised by, uh, for example, Iowa secretaries of state who um, wanted to push for voter ID. and uh, and their their concern was, well, we need voter ID because of fraudulent voting. And then when careful analysis was done about people who, for example, voted twice, they found, like, you could could count the number on your hand, and that's in a state of 3 million people. So, you know, it, it does seem like there's a lot more concern about this than is warranted by reality. But I think one of the big concerns right now is you have so many people voting by mail in Iowa and other states. That's one concern. And the other concern is uh, there's, again, lots of information being put out there to suggest that things could go wrong. You have, you have um, for example, there's this really far right-wing site. Um, it, it's, it's these two guys, uh, Dino Parazzo, Jr. and Dino Parazzo Sr., the Dino Parazzos who um, <laughs> have been trying to um, uh, promote the idea that, you know, there's going to be violence, there's going to be violence, there's going to be violence. Um, and so... You know, do those additional concerns, again, the fact that so many people are going to be voting absentee and that there's all this rhetoric about violence and criminal activity, is all of that going to affect what happens in Cass County?
2: Um, I, uh, I don't believe so. Um, again, all I have for frame of reference, um, other than talking to friends, uh, but here in Cass County, we will have a, a refresher training coming up here in another few weeks. And at that point in time, I will ask whether or not, you know, are the police going to drive by our polling sites? We just, in, in that's one of the wonderful things about rural America is that we, you, we, we, don't, we don't bring arms and violence to those kinds of events, at least, knock on wood, we haven't so far. Right. Um, so, no, I, I am not concerned about that as a poll worker. I am very concerned about the rhetoric that uh, it's drama, is all it is. And why would you want to do that when we, our voting system has been so in, pretty impeccable for so long? Why would, especially a sitting president, why would you want to stir up any sort of distrust in a system that has served our country for so long so well?
0: Well, I think some people feel that, you know, uh, Donald Trump is he, he he will he will not accept defeat. He will not he, he will not lose this election in, in his own mind. He cannot lose. And so if anything happens uh, and on election day he comes out the, the loser, then something clearly was rigged. And who knows where that's going to go?
2: Only time will tell about how that takes place. What I can say with assuredness for anyone who is worried about whether or not their ballot will be counted, um, especially if you mail it in. Um, I know that in Polk County, um, for those of you outside the state, that's uh, our capital city. um, I know that a number of county auditors are trying to see if they can count ahead of time. Typically, what happens in an election is that there's a team that comes in very early in the morning whose only task, their only one job is to count the absentee ballots correctly. And again, it is done with both parties represented. There are forms to fill out. There are everybody signs everything you sign your life away so that if something (laughs) does go askew. You are held personally responsible. Yeah. So um, you know everybody everybody wants this to be on the up and up and above right. board. and yeah. and we take great pride in being representatives of our government and um, to make sure that these elections are held securely and with tremendous integrity and that we ha- we, have, um, we have all of these things in place so that uh, they take place smoothly as the day goes on.
0: Yeah, and I, I know that in Polk County, uh, there's a record number. I mean, smashing mm-hmm. the record in terms of the number yes. of absentee <laughs> voters. Would that be the same in your county, Cass County?
2: It, yes, there has been. I haven't seen the figures as of this morning, but yes, um, the especially um, as I think it's a pretty typical thing across the country. Democrats tend to vote absentee uh, for whatever reason. And this year, I think it because of COVID, is just that much more... Right um, I guess the case. And, um, so yes, there, are, there are fairly high numbers, um, Cass, just all across the board. And I think it's good. We need to be voting. We, people need to have their voices heard, and this is the way to do it.
0: And Cass County tends to be a Republican County.
2: Tends to, we have, um, uh, we did it one, one of the elections vote for Obama.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, and I imagine some of your County officials are both parties. Uh, I don't
2: um no, no. not current, <laughs> okay. not currently not but, currently uh, but still I mean
0: but but there seems to be bipartisan acceptance that the system is going to work
2: Absolutely yeah. yes um who the who at least here in Cass County we really get along quite well and so um the the party of leadership doesn't seem to impede any it definitely doesn't impede any of the protocol that's expected Everybody does what they need to do, and that is the way it should be done. Something
0: I've noticed, uh, you know, at the county level, uh, especially for the, for the local offices, party affiliation seems to matter a lot less. Uh, I, I know that um, you, you look at look at the map, and there are, high you know, very much Republican counties that might have a Democratic auditor, recorder, yes. treasurer, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Democratic counties that might have a Republican auditor, recorder, treasurer. Uh, and interestingly, interestingly as well, um, I, I was. Um, yeah, there are uh, there are sixty three Republican auditors in the state, and um, I want to say 30, 36 maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not quite right. there. would make that
2: would make the number balance. Well,
0: well, no, it doesn't, because there are four. There are there are four that are no party. There are four oh, that oh. are completely that are that are not affiliated with either the Democratic or Republican parties. And what really fast, the, number, the number that really fascinated me was, uh, I know there's a lot of conversation about the importance of gender balance. And I certainly, mm-hmm. I'm certainly a big believer in, in balance across the, uh, the demographic spectrum. But in Iowa, among county auditors, 99 of them, uh, there are 19 men and 80 women
2: interesting fascinating (laughs)
0: anyway and, and yeah it isn't
2: ours ours happens to be male he's held the office for many years yeah and uh he he knows what he's doing and is um a very very honest decent man yeah
0: well so um yeah the uh the election's coming up um and today actually as we as we discuss this program here october 5th is the first day That you can vote in Iowa, and I'm told that in the Polk Polk County Election Office, before it opened this morning, there was already a line of people waiting to vote there, so there's that option, there's the option of voting by mail, and apparently there are some, despite, you know, I think President Trump has tried hard to discredit the Postal Service, uh, but I think the pushback has been strong enough where the Postal Service is going to work fine, and Mm -hmm. mail ballots will be sent back, so anyway we'll you know we'll see I hope it goes as well in the rest of the country as we projected is going to go here in Iowa because we are one of those swing states and so what we do on election day and leading up to it will matter. So.
2: if I could throw in just a couple of um, ideas um, not ideas requirements that if people are going to come on November 3rd that you do need to bring a driver's license or your voter registration, that is that is one of the safeguards that we have. You have to prove who you are. Yeah. So for people who are concerned that someone will try to double vote or anything like that, again, there is an entire system that goes in place. There are multiple people as you check in when you go to vote in yeah. person. Um, so that just remember to bring identification and in Iowa, you can register on November 3rd. If you haven't done it yet, you can do it November 3rd, but you have to bring, um, you have to prove your identity and you have to prove your residency. So if that, if you, if you wait that long to get things lined up, you need to be able to prove that at the address you live and who you are either by driver's license or passport. There's a whole huge list of things. So, from the Secretary of State's website, you can click on the voter information, and all of those details will be there. Yeah,
0: and that's good because in, in some states, yeah, you, 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 the registration deadline has already passed, which is crazy. But,
2: hey, um, yes, for here anyway, you, can, you can still, yeah. um, by October 24th at 5 p.m., you can go to the, your county auditor to request an absentee ballot, and you can register, and you can do all those things at the same time.
0: Kimberly, thanks so much for joining us. We got to run to a break. Folks, we've been talking with Kimberly Spillers from Atlantic, Iowa. Thanks so much, Kimberly.
2: Thank you, Ed. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Folks, when we come back, uh, Charles Goldman is going to join us. We're going to talk about how uh, President Trump's COVID case might affect the election. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carry out and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina haas Findlay. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Folks, welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here. Thanks to our local Iowa-based uh, nonprofits who help make this program possible. Bold Iowa, fighting climate change and the Dakota Access Pipeline since 2015. Check out boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, where you can learn how to turn your yard into dinner. Check out birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right. Welcome back to the program again. Later in the show, Dr. Stephen Goldman joining us, and Kathy Burns will join us later. Uh, but first, uh, the other Dr. Goldman is with us. Uh, Charles Goldman on the phone with us. Hello, Charles. How are you?
3: Yeah, uh, good. Ed, how are you doing?
0: Well, I'm hanging in there. i <laughs> you know, uh, it's 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 a kind of a moving target, and it's hard to know what to really point to. But uh, Trump's COVID case is huge, and is going to have an impact on the election, but. I don't have a good feel for how. I do know that um, one of the physicians from Walter Reed Military Medical Center, uh, Dr. James Phillips, uh, he was one of the attending physicians when, you know, at, at Trump's, um, Trump's uh, time there, he said they, the, the irresponsibility of Trump going out in the motorcade to wave to supporters is astounding. Um, he called it uh, insane. He said... Uh, quote, every single person in the vehicle during that completely unnecessary presidential drive-by just now has to be quarantined for 14 days. They might get sick, they might die. For political theater, commanded by Trump to put their lives at risk for theater, this is insanity. Okay, there's that. And maybe... Well,
3: I I mean, I think that um, it it was getting tiring over the weekend, the breathlessness of the media standing outside of Walter Reed and hanging on every word from his doctors, et cetera. But, yeah, that stunt was, was reprehensible. But it, it, it personifies the president. It personifies the president and exemplifies, you know, his absolute disregard for anybody else but himself. Because, you know, even though those two agents of the Secret Service were um, wearing N95 masks, um, there's no air exchange in that car uh, he, the president is not even wearing a medical grade mask. He's wearing some cloth mask, which means he's expelling virus into this closed environment. Yeah, um, you can get the infection in through your eyes, even though yes, they were wearing goggles, but those are not occlusive. Uh, it was yeah, an unnecessary risk. And for those of you, all, all of the the great patriots who you know are willing to put everybody else's children on the line, um, yes. The Secret Service agents understand that they might have to put their life on the line for the president, but not in the sense of a needless activity yeah. like that That stunt.
0: That was Dr. Um, Phillips' point as well. And, and of me.
3: course, today the president blamed the media for why he had to go out to welcome his hundred or so well-wishers.
0: I hadn't heard that. How did he spin that one?
3: Um, <laughs> you know... I have, I have no idea. I mean, he <laughs> okay. just made he just made the statement that it, it was the media that made him have to go out and do it. So speaking of the um, media,
0: you mentioned that the media were were out there hanging around, um, over overboard. In your opinion, why, why do you what do you think? What, what should their response have been? I mean, should they not have reported on this to the no, extent it's that they did?
3: That it, it, it's just that repetitively, for hours on hours, we heard about you know, how sick is he really? And this is a national security risk. And should we invoke the 25th Amendment? And, you know, why can't he just temporarily turn over the government? And, you know, of course, that ludicrous stage thing where he was signing the blank piece of paper to make it seem like he was doing something. You know, when they said the president was working hard, I, was, I knew he was sick because that's not his usual behavior.
0: Um, <laughs> right, right. But,
3: no, I mean, I guess, I guess the, the, the problem I had with the media was, they were breathlessly, you know, reporting every, every, you know, issue with the medications he was getting. And, you know, the question I asked you is, um, and, and you're asking, well, how does this make the president look? Um, who's going to pay for those medications for everybody else?
0: Yeah, he looks pretty privileged. If,
3: yeah, if, if they go in the hospital with COVID, if they don't now have insurance or if the Supreme Court decides that because the constitution doesn't specifically talk about providing medical care through the federal government therefore the originalist intent was not to provide medical care for the people of the united states when they you know get rid of 20 million people's insurance uh, i.e. the aca who's going to pay for remdesivir you know and and let's let's talk about remdesivir a little bit
0: that's uh, that's one of that's one know, of the four medications that trump took i believe
3: well it's one of the three medications three okay So that medication, by the way, which he, uh, in his uh, tweet, uh, erroneously, big surprise, said was developed under the Trump administration. It was actually not developed under the Trump administration. It was developed under the Obama administration. And it's been a drug looking for use because, in fact, remdesivir was was, uh, developed in response to the previous SARS epidemic. Um, Now, remdesivir, of course, also is an exemplar of how pharmaceuticals work in this country. About $90 million went into the development of remdesivir. You know who paid for that? American taxpayers,
0: right? Of course,
3: and, of course, yeah. And so, um, you know, the real the real question is, uh, why then is this drug being marketed or being sold for at least ten to fifteen times what it's costing to make? Um, so, you know, once again, I guess that's my question: Who's going to pay for your undissever if you have no insurance?
0: Yeah, and uh, and to what extent? I mean, already people are there. There have been people who've been infected with the COVID virus that uh, have been unable to access anywhere near the level of care that they need let alone the level of care that president trump is receiving right so maybe and maybe maybe that will impact the election maybe people will say oh my gosh yeah uh, not only was trump all wrong about the covid you know the, the, the covid 19 not being a problem here he is sick himself um, but also look at the look at the special attention he's getting when my uncle or my dad or my neighbor or so and so couldn't even get a ventilator, couldn't, um, you know, couldn't get the basic care they needed. I mean, I don't, maybe that's not happening that much. Yeah, I've heard some cases, but, you know, maybe it's not enough to make an impact in terms of pub- the public perception leading up to the election. But it seems to me that on a number of levels, Trump, Trump catching the coronavirus is not going to help him in the election.
3: I would say generally that's true. Uh, He did come out today and say that he feels better than he's felt 20 years, but that's because he got steroids.
0: (laughs) steroids Um, he
3: said nobody should be afraid of getting the COVID. Um, He did say that. He did say that in his tweet.
0: I feel better now. So,
3: well, you're talking about this week. I mean, do you you believe, Ed, that there's a single undecided voter left after that debacle on Tuesday?
0: Uh, Yeah, I do, actually. I think there is probably still—maybe not undecided, but I think there are still persuadable voters— my, I've, I've talked to a couple of young people, in fact, who are so dissatisfied with the system that they think, "Yeah, I'll just vote for Trump. What the heck?" But you know, I think I think with enough conversation about why that's a bad idea, <laughs> well, I, I maybe it. they change their wait, wait,
3: mind. Wait, wait. Isn't Trump part of the system?
0: Well, of course he is, but he he makes the case that he's the outsider, draining the swamp. You know, t- taking on the uh, the political establishment. I mean, it's a it's a farce, like. It's it's even more. It's even less reality TV than his uh, show, The Apprentice. But uh, well, but he you know Maybe, maybe
3: it's not so bad that that children can't go to school because if this is what they're being educated to believe, <laughs> then there's a real problem in American education.
0: Well, I wouldn't blame the educational system on that. I'd blame maybe uh, maybe social media and maybe Russian bots and uh, and other uh, other uh, other you know biased interests that uh, try to disrupt the uh, flow of valid information.
3: Well, but but you. you you know, school's purpose is not to necessarily impart information. Once you get out of, out of elementary school, um, you you should be imparting the ability to make judgments, to have you know credulity. I mean, it's not. Maybe that's the problem with American education. It's way too much about memorization and you know, just spit back for a multiple choice test what the answer is, and it doesn't educate you. Yeah. Well, um,
0: to the, to back to the main point before we got to take a break. Sure. Um so the impact that Trump's COVID case will have on the election. Again, I'm I, I my my honest answer is I don't know, but I don't think it's gonna be helpful. My my first impression is that it's gonna hurt him. What is yours?
3: Uh, I agree. I mean I, I think his surviving actually was more helpful to the Democrats than his not surviving. Because he's more a liability alive.
0: So if he if, had if
3: he, if if he had he, died if he had died of COVID, he'd be a martyr and then the the Russian bots and the other conspiracy theorists would have said that the liberals killed them.
0: That would be a stretch. Yeah. Well, yeah. okay. no,
3: it was a drone. The liberals, you know, the, the, a drone came over that gathering for uh, the Supreme Court justice, and it was, you know, driven by Hillary Clinton. <laughs> and and,
0: and, 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 and air dropped a whole bunch of coronaviruses on the gathering, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Well, who knows? <laughs> but um, it would have made for an interesting election because, uh, you know, Donald Trump would still be on the ballot. There are people all over the country. I want to say maybe 3 million people who've already voted. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you would have probably had a Republican Party that would have chosen Mike Pence to be the uh, nominee after the fact. But it, anyway, we, we may not have that, that, uh, that situation. But again, you know, I, I, I suspect that Donald Trump is going to start taking the coronavirus a little more seriously. I doubt it. No? Okay. <laughs> right.
3: well, no, I mean, because yeah. he's, he's he's under the sway of this, this Dr. Atlas, you know, the neuroradiologist who, of course, knows nothing about infectious disease. I mean, he's under the sway of Atlas who's telling him, just let it ride. Let this virus make its way through the population, develop herd immunity, and it'll all be done.
0: Yeah.
3: Now, it's not that there isn't some truth to that, but the, but the actual carnage that that might lead to not just in direct COVID deaths, but in overwhelming the medical system to the point that you start seeing excess mortality for people with things that could be taken care of would be excessive, especially if you're going to have a vaccine in some period of time, which could make up the difference in herd immunity that we don't
0: yet have. All right, Charles. Hey, we've got to run to a break, but uh, stick with us, Charles, because we're going to welcome your brother, Stephen Goldman. Uh, So we will be uh, flanked by two doctors, Goldman here, folks. As we come back from a short break, we'll talk about Uh, Moving beyond uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg to the question about, you know, what kind of overhaul the U.S. Supreme Court and the court system generally might be in order for. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
1: At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, Well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum, I'm at Fallon with the folks, uh, thanks to our local business partners including Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's my grocery store, and you can get lunch and supper every day through their takeout service, you can also get breakfast on the weekends through their takeout service, that's Gateway Marketing Cafe, and thanks to Hawk Restaurant where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers, they do have patio seating available which is a great week for that with temperatures in the 70s and maybe even hitting 80. But they've also got indoor seating, and they've done a great job at setting that up in such a way that it is socially acceptable. Anyway, that's Hawk Restaurant in Des Moines East Village. Again, welcome back to the program. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Uh, Joining us now uh, in what could be um, an interesting um, uh, tag team match here, uh, Dr. Stephen Goldman and Dr. Charles Goldman, with me stuck in the middle here. Hey, Goldman Brothers, welcome to the program. Thanks. Yeah. Always glad to be here. All right. Hey, so um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a lot of the focus has been on the replacement, the uh, up- upcoming, the, the probably upcoming confirmation hearings. But there's um, the, the, the the Supreme Court vacancy is highlighting a lot of concerns about some of the bigger issues that affect our court system that need to be addressed. And Stephen, I know you've got some thoughts on that. So why don't you kick off that conversation?
4: All right. Thanks, Ed. Um- I mean, I wanted to point out that it should never have come to this. I mean, this has been a literally decades-long struggle, uh, actually a one-sided struggle, where the Republicans have specifically targeted the federal judiciary, not just the Supreme Court, but all federal judges. The Democrats, for whatever reason, including, I think, Completely misguided advice from their political operatives, believing that the Supreme Court was not an issue that people would respond to, have relied on the tenuous health of a woman deep in her eighties, and we are now in the circumstance that we are in now, to which it should never have come. And I'm, frankly, I'm stunned.
0: Well, no, no you
4: democr- go ahead.
0: Well, no, you had you had you had President Obama who. Uh, Apparently or allegedly was actively, you know, acting asking Ruth Bader Ginsburg to retire while he was still president, while he still had control of the uh, U.S. Senate. So right. it's not—it's not, it's not yeah, all.
4: He, uh, my understanding is there was one meeting. My also Ed, when he nominated Merrick Garland, who I think was a very good choice, a choice that was clearly would have appealed to some of the Republican senators. Did President Obama ever once? take the case the unprecedented case of not even getting a hearing within the senate to the american people did he ever make the case for the importance of the supreme court let's remember that the infamous borking of robert bork he had a full confirmation hearing and a vote and six republican senators did not vote for his confirmation he never took the case to the american people he never explained it to the american people and if Hillary Clinton mentioned the Supreme Court during the campaign of 2016, I must have missed it.
0: Well, that's surprising to me, really, because, you know, you've got some Democratic constituencies like um, the the pro-choice movement. I mean, they've got a lot to lose in right. a 6-3 to three conservative court. And, I, I you know, I, I, they're a pretty important element of the Democratic base. So is the LGBT community. So is the environmental right. community. Know,
3: but, and, and I think that's the whole point, which is that— the Republicans have very cannily shoehorned the whole issue of the courts into one social issue, which is abortion. And the danger of, of this nominee is her fu- her underlying belief, as spoon fed to her by her Federalist Society background, that unless it's you know it's like a literalist with the Bible, unless it says this in the Constitution, the government shouldn't be involved in it. So you know, what, what Barrett's writings would indicate is that she doesn't believe that the 14th Amendment is valid yeah, and that, therefore, there is no there is no legal underpinning for federal civil rights legislation. You know, and, and the Democrats have been very, you know, careful to avoid the abortion issue as much as possible and missing the whole point, which is that what, what this group of conservative, quote conservative, but really ultra-conservative justices wants to do is remove federal control over a myriad of things that have been done. And, you know, they don't even make the point that really a decision on the ACA could be applied to Medicare if they're going to come up with this ludicrous argument about severability of this law. Um, so I, I think the reason the Democrats didn't bring it up is because they're afraid of being on
4: the pro-choice side with abortion. They want people to forget about it.
0: Okay. So, again, uh, that, that's, that's a really good point. Um, and, and, Stephen, uh, you know, maybe after this uh, debacle, Democrats will start talking about it more seriously. Maybe not. But um, what are the specific things that you think should happen to the court system in order to make, make the courts work better?
4: Okay. i presuming, although who knows now with what two of the Republican senators now with COVID and maybe even more who are on the Judiciary Committee. All right. Let's presume that she's confirmed.
3: I would just assume that's going to happen even if it happens in the lame-duck session. Right.
4: All right Ed, we the When the Constitution was ratified in 1789, the average lifespan of a white male was 39 years of age. So a lifetime appointment was not going to be 45 years.
0: That's sobering.
4: But, not I that, mean, they, that's, they, that's they, the reality.
0: They, they weren't
3: even selling hair club memberships at that time. Yeah, so you've
4: got... <laughs> And don't forget, we're not just talking about the Supreme Court. We're talking about all federal court appointees a lifetime. And the, and the Republicans who play this beautifully. They're appointing people in their 30s. Most, many of them are unqualified, quite obviously. But they're, they could be on the courts for 60 years or 50 years. No other re- de- democracy has such long appointments to the highest level courts. There has to be systematic reform here. And I think that one of them has to be, and by the way, I don't want to hear the term packing the court. If indeed she is confirmed, you've essentially had two seats that have been appropriated, shall we say. And and it doesn't say anywhere in the Constitution there have to be nine Supreme Court judges. There have been five. There have been ten at other times. I am in full support of looking at the possibility of, of extending The numbers on the supreme court by two having term limits on the supreme court that are staggered because i believe the count am i correct charles 14 republican appointees to four democratic appointees since 1969 carter had none trump looks like he's going to have three obama had two in two terms I mean, this is where you're getting the imbalance in relation to that. So, why 11?
0: Actually, why 11? Why yeah,
3: not just one some a... of the writing on expanding the court would
4: make the argument
3: that it should have four slots and that um, adding two is, is just leaves you in the same position. Yeah, one at one, one,
0: one 15. I don't know. Just pick a number. You
4: know, again, that, that's the point, Charles. It's not so much the number, it's the concept that you have. To, it, this does not, it's just the same concept of two senators from Wyoming and two senators from California. When what, there's a 66 times difference in the population?
3: Right. Well, we have, we have yeah, basically three anti-democratic institutions. One is the Electoral College, the second is the Senate, and the third is the Supreme Court. Right. And, uh, you know, what, what should happen, in addition to what my brother's talking about, is— and, and I think there's actually a fair amount of support for this— that there's no have lifetime appointments as ludicrous. There should be term limits, and actually, if you use term limits appropriately, you can force rotation— From administration to administration, to have the opportunity to at least least make a certain number of guarantees. Well, that's exactly
4: that's exactly what I'm saying. You stagger it so essentially that the same number of appointments based on the rotations. Yeah, but you're going to
3: have deaths and retirements that may make it more than that. However, I
4: understand that. Yeah, it
3: it would make a system that is much more fair. But you know, the problem, of course, with the uh, judiciary as a whole, which is now one third Trump appointees, is the way the Senate worked. Yeah. To uh, you know, uh, inhibit Obama from making over 150 or 140 appointments, which the president then used in the debate as a proof yeah, the of the
4: incompetence of President Obama and Joe Biden by inference.
0: So okay, so it, is, so, so
4: it is revealing that of all the things that Biden could have said, he didn't respond to that. Right. Well,
3: I didn't say this to Ed, but I thought that the debate was an argument to my mind that no male over 70 should be allowed to run for president because their, their minds are no longer nimble enough. You know, it's enough with old people uh, being allowed to lead this Charles,
0: country. Charles, I'm going to have to call you an ageist.
3: Yeah, well, I'm not being an ageist. I'm being a realist. I'm being a realist to somebody who's in their 60s and sees that their mind isn't as agile as it used to be. And that's the way it is for most people. And, you know, that's what you saw in that stage.
0: Yeah. Okay, so, so, um, so no lifetime appointments, uh, that, that would be a constitutional change. Um, increasing yeah. the number of Supreme Court justices, what else, Stephen?
4: I think that, and again, you know, you know Ed, this is a great discussion. It's all part of, of the piece of what has to happen in terms of reform itself. Uh, and by the way, i was very, ha- I'm very heartened to see that Joe Biden supports the addition of the District of Columbia as a state. It should be a state. They should have two senators.
0: And maybe Puerto That's Rico? Maybe Pu- maybe Puerto Rico as well?
4: And Puerto Rico. I mean, there's more people in those two places. I believe there's 3 million Americans in Puerto Rico. Um, the, I mean, the idea that the capital of this country, the people still have no representation, is beyond belief in terms of that. It should be a state. They have more people in population than other two states in some cases have. Because we have now devolved... It's a country that's literally run by the minority. And this has this has to be made clear. Yeah. And I think what's going to happen when Joe Biden is elected, which I believe he will be, and what looks to be the case, and I'd like to hear what you guys think, I think the Democrats are going to take back the Senate. Well, that- and I, I, I think that all these things should be up for debate. And But it has to be explained. The American people are not stupid they do understand these concepts i'm I'm always stunned especially living in the beltway as we do uh in my wife and i when you listen to the pundits who inevitably are wrong such as the the ones who told us that william barr was going to be an institutionalist and we see how that's worked out is the concept of explaining how the courts work how important they are and charles is making a marvelous point this is not just about abortion this is this is about all the issues, it's about the environment. This is about LGBTQ rights. This is about unions in relation to that. Stuff yeah, in The Supreme Court has such a major impact.
0: Hey folks, well, we got I got to run to a break here. Um, this conversation could, could go on a while, Stephen. I think we might want to get you back on the program before the election. I I'd like to hear more. I can't again, I got to run to a break, but I'd like to hear more about why you think Biden is going to win and why you think the US Senate is going to flip because that um, that that might be a harder sell uh, with, uh, with with me and with some of our guests even. So um, we might have you back, Stephen. But I got to run to a break now. Folks have been talking with uh, Dr. Stephen Goldman and Dr. Charles Goldman. No relation to Goldman Sachs. <laughs> unless i'm mistaken <laughs> no
4: there is not no not no. all right
0: hey thanks for joining us and folks we'll be back in a couple of minutes uh kathy burns with birds and bees urban farms going to join us we'll talk about how urban farming is beginning to make a bigger splash in the news media back in a minute on the fallon forum architecture by synthesis provides planning design and design build services for high performance no maintenance affordable homes and buildings They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis. by synthesis.
1: Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
0: Back to the Fallon. former Med Fallon with you folks say thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Market and Cafe, my grocery store, and a great place for breakfast on the weekends only these days through their takeout program. But also their takeout service can get you dinner and lunch every day of the week, seven days a week. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all manners of beast, great and small, for over 30 years at Story County Veterinary Clinic. Again, welcome back to the program. Joining me for this conversation here is Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And we're excited to see that uh, urban farming is getting some more serious attention in the news media lately. Kathy, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks. Uh, Before we talk about the recent story in the Iowa Capital Dispatch, I just want to mention that at Birds and Bees Urban Farm, and we can be found at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org, Very soon, we're going to be announcing our workshops to help you learn to turn your yard into dinner for next year. And we also want to let people know that we do on-site consultations. This is a good time of year to be calling us for um, helping you plan out your plots for next year.
0: Yeah, people, I'm always surprised. People say, yo, next year I'm going to plant a garden. I'm saying, great. If you want to plant a garden next year, plan to plant this fall. You need to figure out where, check your soil. If it's solid clay, you're gonna to wanna to do something about that. Ideally, you can build your beds if you're gonna build frames. And um, ideally, you can move in whatever, whatever amendments you need, uh, whether you're using compost or horse manure or whatever you've got, now's the time to do that. So, you know, you, you, it's hard for people to think about planting a garden now, but this is, this, that, this is the time. Just take the T out of the word plant and that's what you should be doing planning. You
1: are so clever. You are. I just got got lucky on that one. Oh my gosh. Okay.
0: (laughs) Well, and this all
1: folds into urban farming in the news because now's the time to be thinking not just about having your own backyard garden, but the importance of urban farming in general in food security, considering the climate crisis and considering even the pandemic. Um, Perry Beeman with the Iowa Capital Dispatch just uh, came out yesterday with an article featuring birds and bees urban farm, we're proud to say, and some other area growers. Um, It's called Iowa Sees Surge in Urban Farming as Pandemic Continues. So thank you, Perry, for focusing on this important issue.
0: Yeah, and the article focused mostly on how people are responding to the pandemic, uh, with an interest—I mean, concerns about their own food security. Okay. So you know, deciding to do more to you know more growing and their, growing their own, more raising of baby chicks uh, and turning them into lay, laying hens. But um, I, I personally, I think the biggest concern is what happens when when the, when climate chaos. Impacts the food system even even great. I mean, it's already having it an already impact. Has. Look at the impact of the derecho here in the mm-hmm. Midwest. But when these weather events and the accompanying increase in in uh, in in global warming happen, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a problem. So I, I'm a, I'm glad to see more attention being given to this problem, both at the grassroots level and mm-hmm. and now among among some within the media.
1: Yep, Perry included in his article a discussion with. Uh, Kalsa Parker Browning at ISU at Iowa State University, uh, talking about increased interest in home vegetable gardening in general, and um, their Polk County Master Gardeners uh, produce donations to local food pantries, and that's been that's been an important part of response and um, resilience in the face of food security.
0: And so so much good work going on to Anne McGlynn with the um, tapestry farms in in the Quad Cities. I really like their focus because Mm -hmm. you know again, Iowa like the U.S. has a growing immigrant population and and a lot of those immigrant communities have distinct food needs and preferences and a lot of those foods can be grown locally and so seeing the work that tapestry, tapestry is doing Seeing the work that uh, Zach Kucher is doing here mm-hmm. in Des Moines with Lu- uh, Lutheran Services of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of really good targeted work to communities uh, that don't have a lot of resources but have unique needs that can be met because of the, um, you know, the, 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 we have this great soil. We have a climate so far in Iowa that's perfect for growing most food, not all food. We don't do oranges. We don't do coffee. We don't do chocolate.
1: Oh, if we could. <laughs>
0: only well, only we could. But, you know, these people are doing really good work um, mm-hmm. at, at reaching out to constituencies that need that kind of support and, and, and hungry for it.
1: And it sounds like, the, uh, according to T- Perry's article also, the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship says the state has some responses. Uh, for instance, some um, grants to help schools purchase equipment and supplies to make it easier for... Uh, schools to buy produce from local growers that to me is so encouraging Uh, we just had granddaughters over here the other day helping with with farming here in our yard picking green beans they love to pick food right off the vine and eat those green beans and when kids get good local healthy food that has all the vitamins that it can because it hasn't traveled thousands of miles to get to them they're going to be healthier, happier kids. You know,
0: and I don't think I've ever met a kid that isn't interested in where food comes from. Uh, we had, we had one uh, friend and her daughter staying with us a few years back who was just uh, enamored with uh, planting tomato seeds. Uh, when and your grandkids were here another time, we mm-hmm. ground corn. Yes, uh, you know they're they're always interested in it. Um, and when your
1: grandkids call, we do farm tours, and they identify from Florida some of the different crops. So <laughs> right, it's my, important.
0: My, my Florida grandson always thinks that eggplant looks like papaya. He's not far <laughs> off. He's not far off. <laughs>
1: well, I wish we could grow papaya in addition to the coffee and things. We can't do it all. Yeah. Um, but it's about local. Sustainably, sustainably grown, healthy foods, and that's what we want for everybody, and that's what we do at Birds and Bees Urban Farm, um, mm. and a lot of other uh, local Des Moines area producers. Dogpatch Urban Gardens is uh, really on the cutting edge of providing some great. Jenny Kleiner has
0: done some great work mm-hmm. there.
1: Uh, they're on Meredith Drive in uh, in n- north of here, and uh, Sweet Tooth. Uh, gardens, I think it is. Sweet yeah. I forgot to write. Sweet Tooth Farms or Gardens. Um, mm-hmm. they, they've they got a lot of good local stuff going on. And I know the Iowa Food Co- Co-op does buy from local producers. And, of course,
0: Lissa Wade with the Veggie Thumper Bus oh has done a lot of great work with um, oh, so with the vegan community. And uh, and, and again, I'm not
1: vegan, but I love it. Yeah. And, I love
0: it. And she, she really has done a good job at growing a, a lot of her own food mm-hmm. and also incorporating, even though she's vegan, incorporating chickens into that because the manure from the chickens is so important for uh, crop vitality. You know, it's just, um, it's encouraging to see the news media beginning to pick these, to pick up this information and to make the connections between uh, problems like the pandemic, problems like climate change. Uh, And again, I, I think You know, we're going to see, but part of the problem is you can't just snap your fingers and expect to have an instant food system. You've got to have seeds. You've got to have good soil. You've got to have amendments to make that soil healthier. You've got to have knowledge. You've got to have tools and equipment, and you've got to have land.
1: And there's support out there to get all that, Um, especially the knowledge. There's a lot of support.
0: And the more the media does to get the word out, the better.
1: I really like that Perry told the story that you told him in the article about, uh, your Subaru. And <laughs> when we sold it, our landlady was agreeable to let us grow food in the spot where we used to park the Subaru. And that's that's a really nice benefit. So we expanded our growing space considerably this year and have a lot of great tomatoes, peppers, and eggplant that we wouldn't have had
0: otherwise. And part of my complaint... About uh, land use in the US is that more and more of our land gets used for, gets paved with concrete. Joni Mitchell wrote about that. Well, here's an example of where what was for parking is now for food. I mm-hmm. like that. So, mm-hmm. Kathy, thanks for joining us today. Folks, we've been talking with Kathy Burns at Birds and Bees Urban Farm. You can check out the article she's talking with and a bunch of other great stories at the Iowa Capital Dispatch site. It's an online newsletter connected with a, a similar grassroots um, publications around the country. Again, thanks for tuning in to today's program. Thanks to our production team of Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina. Uh, thanks to the stations around the country and in Iowa that rebroadcast this program. You can always find it as a podcast on the Fallon Forum website. That's fallonforum.com. Check out our Facebook page as well. And we'll be back next week.